preconceived notion is an opinion formed beforehand without ad- ad- adequate evidence to support that opinion. Sometimes preconceived notions are helpful, right? For instance, if I'm walking somewhere strange in the middle of the night and I hear something go bump in the night, I'm going to take off running because preconceived notion tells me that that might something be dangerous and I want to stay away from that dangerous thing potentially. Similarly, right, if we're out in the mountains or somewhere west of town and we're out hiking, we hear something rattling in the bushes, take off running because a preconceived notion tells us that something rattling in the bushes might be a rattlersnake and we don't want to take any chances with that. (laughs) So as much as preconceived notions can be helpful at times, they can also sometimes get in the way. Preconceived means that it's fixed, rigid, or predetermined. In other words, there's not a lot of room for change or flexibility. And when we have preconceived notions about people, those rigid, fixed, or predetermined thoughts about them can actually get in the way from us seeing who they are or how they might have changed. So it was 2004 that I graduated college. Do you remember where you were in 2004, May of 2004? Four years old. Four years old. Wow. Okay, almost five. Yeah, because I was maybe four. Okay. Where were you in 2004? Do you remember? Caesar Square. Square. Well, it seems like forever ago, doesn't it? Well, that was 14 years ago by my math. And 14 years ago, when I graduated college, I had many friends and acquaintances uh, during my time in college. But it's been about 14 years since I've seen many or most of them. So in other words... The last notion or understanding I have of who they are is based on my knowledge from 14 years ago. Knowledge that is certainly dated and hasn't been updated, at least with any personal face-to-face interactions. Except that is for interactions on social media. How many of us here are on Facebook? I know you are, right? No, No, I'm disappointed. You don't have a computer. Some of us are on social media and Facebook. Now, do we we know what social media and Facebook is? See, you're you're some you're still somewhat hip, right? Right. right. <laughs> well, the thing about social media is it can be a great way to connect with people we haven't seen in many years, like my friends from college and my acquaintances. So my father, who is uh, he's older than me, I'll say it nicely. Um, few years ago he made a facebook profile for himself and he was he was he found it really neat when people from his past as a youth director 30 or 40 years ago began connecting with him on facebook so social media can be a great thing but conversely social media also um provides us a, a platform if you will for reinforcing our negative or predetermined uh preconceived ideas about people So like I said, there's many people I know in college who I haven't interacted with on a personal level for 14 years. But through the power of Facebook and social media and computers, I have an ability to 
converse with those people like never before through our keyboards, right? The problem is, though, when I'm exchanging comments with people on Facebook, all through the best of Christian honor, right? <laughs> you can laugh at that. That was a joke. You know, I'm making fun of myself because sometimes I'm not as honorably or not as honorable as I'd like to be. But uh, I do try to get. But so when I'm doing, you know, responding to people's comments through the keyboard on the computer, I am basing my comments in my response to them based on how I know them from 14 years ago. So if there's a person who 14 years ago that I thought was rude and unfriendly, if there's a person 14 years ago I thought was you know lazy and unhelpful, when I comment to their posts, I still comment through that mental uh, structure of them being that person. And it's entirely possible, like let's hope, right, that they've changed in 14 years. Have you changed in 14 years? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. In other words, my preconceived notions affect the way I treat people today while not allowing me to see the way that they have grown and changed. And truly, if we're honest, right, we all have preconceived notions. I'm curious what preconceived notions you have about people. Can maybe you can think back to even when you were in uh, grade school or middle school or high school, who was a person in your class? Now, did, did anyone here ever go to a, here's an example, a class reunion? Who's gone to a class reunion? I missed mine last week. You missed yours last week? How many years has that been? 65. 65 years. Wow. So it would have been what, 1957, 6, 8? 53. 53. See, uh, they don't teach us math in seminary. It's okay. <laughs> 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 you don't need math. <laughs> yeah. So now I, I imagine how many, how, many, um, how many class reunions have you been to? Okay. I was out of the state for quite a while. Okay, okay. And then I went to a few of the reunions from the Colorado Christian Home. Okay. But class reunions are a great example that when we see someone, you know, we knew in in high school, so often we think of that person as how we knew them in high school. You know, uh, the cliches of the jock or did they have cheerleaders back then? Oh, yes. Yeah. They had clicks. Yeah, the clicks. Same thing they have in the States. Right. So those preconceived notions, 1953. Now, what high school was that, by the way? North High School. North High School. So you were, were you a Viking back then? I was. A Viking. Good old Viking. Never built on any of the clubs, but that's where I went to high school. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, North High School, 1953, class of 1953, 65 years. Wow. Congratulations. Right down the street. And yeah. It's still there. It's still there. Well, I was thinking about preconceived notions because in the section of scripture I read from the book of Mark, there's this interesting little story about Jesus traveling back to his hometown with his disciples. You might say maybe it's for a class reunion type thing. You can imagine as such. So on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue and begins teaching there. And all who heard him were astounded, kind of like, a class reunion, I imagine, if some someone who you didn't think of very much of in high school comes back and just starts, 
getting up and sage and wowing everybody with his conversation or her conversation. So they said to themselves, where did he get all this? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? You know, this it's just like the class reunion. If there's this guy who was just working in wood shop and he all of a sudden had a Fortune 500 company, people would wonder, where did he get all this skill to do that? Not only, forgive me, I'm, I'm a little sick here, so my voice is a little off. Uh, not only did they think, who, in the, who is this guy and what is he saying? But they were offended by what he had to say, so much so that Jesus lamented to his disciples and said, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown. Probably some of us have experienced that, right? Because we've all probably to some extent felt those preconceived notions about us. Right when people think about us and hold us to that, what they knew us before. So we can all see what happened here, right? The people from Jesus' hometown had preconceived notions about who he was and whether he had the legitimacy or the authority to talk about what he was talking about. So Mark records several of their preconceived notions. Where did this man get all this? Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? He's from that family? So the people of his hometown had preconceived notions about who he was, what kind of intelligence he had, and whether or not someone from that kind of family had any business talking about religious things in public. You know, from our perspective, it's easy to chide them for their foolishness. How could they miss something so obvious, right? I mean, they've seen Jesus since he was young. Having watched him age and grow, they should have seen what was right in front of them. He was something truly special, yet they missed it. But truthfully, they're not the only ones. One commentator says, Believing in one's own preferences is far greater than the human capacity for faith. In other words... It's easier for us to stick with what we know than to act on faith for what we don't know. So the people in Jesus' hometown, they knew him to be a carpenter. And there's some biblical scholars who think a carpenter was actually more, uh, more generous a description to what Jesus actually did. Some people think uh, the accurate description of his job was actually just a common labor of stone. So they just knew him to be a laborer or a carpenter. They knew him to be the son of Mary and of the family of Joseph. That's what they expected of him. It required an act of faith for them to move beyond what they knew he was and to see him for what he truly was. Here's the thing in the book of Mark. This is why uh, Mark's gospel is so interesting. The person who was able to go beyond what they know and act in faith is rare. And even those who do, they aren't who we'd expect. Those who recognize Jesus for who he is come from every sector of every background in that time period. So you've heard the story of Jairus and his daughter. He was a rich and powerful religious ruler. There was the woman who had a hemorrhaging flow of blood. There was the paralytic's selfless friends. Do you remember the paralytic who they let down through the roof so Jesus could heal them? These were different people who came from different backgrounds, so there's no way to predict 
who should have recognized him? I mean, if anyone should have recognized Jesus, we would think it'd be the religious authorities, right? Or the disciples, and that's the thing in the book of Mark. Constantly, the disciples just don't catch on to what is happening. And even people in his hometown should have, should have, we would think, should have known better. But again, like I said, throughout the book of Mark, if there's one thing we see over and over again, it's that people with preconceived notions fail to recognize Jesus for who he really is. And again, as us readers of this story, it's easy for us to chide these people for their obvious mistakes. But if we're obvious with our, excuse me, if we're honest with ourselves, I think more often than not, we are like the religious leaders and we are like those from his hometown, more so than we are like Jarius and the woman. In other words, more often than not, I think we're guilty of missing God revealed to us in ways we don't recognize. You know, we all have our preconceptions, our preconceived ideas about how the world works, about how things should be, and perhaps most of all about how we expect to see God revealed to us. You know, like many Christians, we might expect to have God speak to us on a Sunday morning about 10.36 a.m., <laughs> right? Maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later, but sometime during the Sunday morning worship experience, right? But once we get up and walk out the doors of the church, we tend to think that we won't hear God again until next week. The thing is, if that's the kind of preconceived notion we have, I think we're missing out on seeing God every day, all day. You know, there was this, uh, at a previous church that I served in, uh, the youth group would do this thing where every time they gathered, they would sit around, and the youth leader would uh, have them do this practice of they'd share how they thought they saw God during the week. So each time they gathered, um, they'd share about an experience where they felt they saw God revealed during the week. So, for instance, one teenage boy would share about how he saw uh, some, some other teenage boys welcome a new kid to school when they could have been rude and unwelcoming. Or a teenage girl would share about a time where she had a rough day and her friends just went up and gave her a big hug. You know, these were often simple, small stories that would be easy just to overlook, just to easily dismiss or say, you know, that's that wasn't God. Right? That's what we could that's what we could easily say. Yet I think these examples of these teenagers represents what we'd say are eyes of faith. Eyes of faith to be able to see something more, to be able to see God active in our world. And I think that's really a gift that we have to uh, develop within ourselves, but also to uh, to ask for God to for those eyes of faith and then to develop more so. Because there are countless ways we can see God present in our world if we just look for God in our world. You know, and I, I think the other thing is, I was listening to a radio uh, story about this too, is that this is also the importance of community. So whether we're a community big or small, 
as a community, we can encourage one another to have eyes of faith, to look for God in the world and to see God's presence among us. And the thing is, I can't help but get back to the story of Mark. How these people who had known Jesus for so long, who had grown up with him, just missed out on who Jesus was, missed out on his teachings, missed out on the blessing he could have been to them. And it challenges me to think about how we could essentially miss Jesus right in front of us. No, not literally Jesus, but miss out on God activity in our world right in front of us if we're not looking for it, if we're not paying attention. You know, truly this world can be a really discouraging place. There is so much negativity. We know that, right? But I believe God's presence God's activity can be seen throughout our world if we simply let go of our preconceived notions and recognize what is taking place around us. Uh, I was finding online that Today's Show, if you all know the Today's Show, has on the internet uh, stories about uplifting, inspirational, and good news stories that happen throughout the week. One of those stories was a small town in Georgia that has welcomed thousands of refugees, so much so that I think a third of the town is refugees. They've given people a home for people who are homeless. Also, another story about uh, the World Cup happening right now. The Japanese fans, after their team won an upset in the World Cup, rather than partying and celebrating and leaving a mess at the stadium, they actually cleaned up for themselves at the stadium. Can you believe that? That's, that's my favorite thing to do with the baseball game, just throw the pretzels and or the, the peanut shells and leave them there, right? Or how about this? I heard this story the other day. A waitress in Washington received a $3,000 tip. Yeah. Whoa, is right. So I don't know about you, but I like to think, and I would believe that God was active in all these events. And it's just, it it makes me think... There are so many preconceptions we have, so many predetermined ideas about how we think the world works, who we expect to see God through, who we expect to reveal God to us. For us, so for us to open our eyes, to look for ways that God might be speaking to us, to, to look for ways that God might be active in our world, through ways we never would have imagined or never would have expected. Because to have those eyes of faith because I think the biggest tragedy, the biggest tragedy of all, would be like the people in Jesus' hometown who completely missed out on having an amazing experience with Jesus. And we can have those experiences if we just look for God's activity with eyes of faith in the world. So that's my encouragement for us today is to have eyes of faith as we go from this place. Amen. Our song of response is number 261, Sweet, Sweet Spirit.